just means you're going to work until you die. And that was my dad's story, right? I mean, he's kind of on the forefront of the baby boomers. He was born during World War mm-hmm. II. Because I remember sitting down with him. This was 20 years ago. And I'm looking at his, and he said, hey, look at my finances. I'm 61 years old. I want to retire. Let's do this. So I sat down with him, saw his money for the very first time in my life. I've been doing everything right. And then when I sat down with him, I said, dad, well, based on what you have here, what you've saved in your 401k, even though you've been maxing it out, you've been, you paid off all your debt. The problem is you better hope you die in five years because you will run out of money in five years mm-hmm. without social security, right? He was 61 at the time. I said, with social security, you can stretch out a little bit longer. And he's like, well, I don't want, I don't want that to be the case. I, I like to live. Yeah. And I said, well, I don't know what to do for you. Right. And that's the thing. Like as a financial advisor, he was doing everything right. That's what got me out of financial advising. When I realized even someone who did everything right mm-hmm. couldn't retire, who expects yeah. anybody else to. And we're seeing that today. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today, we've got Chris Miles with Money Ripples. And Chris flew in from Provo, Utah, Talk about how to protect your assets in the upcoming recession. Now, I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. The information on the show alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you'll take consistent, if you'll take consistent action, you will become one. And we all know the fastest way to become a millionaire is to get good at sales. Our sales community was launched just a couple of months ago, and already our community members are having more success closing more sales. If you haven't checked it out, Go to salesdisruptors.com to surround yourself with sales, sales assassins from across the country. And we're hiring. So if you're interested in working with us in any capacity, go to disruptors.com slash hiring. And uh, this show is brought to you by our sister company, InvestorLift. Get access to over 2 million cash buyers across the country. Go to InvestorLift.com, put in disruptors to get 10% off. And if you get value today, please don't keep us a secret. Share this episode. Share, uh, subscribe to the channel. That way we can help more people you ready let's do it all right so we put in a big you know catchy clickbaity title right how to protect your assets in the upcoming recession so let's jump into it um i guess let's jump into in in one way recession like Mm -hmm. we all know the recession's over right right i mean that's what they say they're telling us on 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 television in the news like it's gotta be true has to be true has to be true right so you don't feel like the recession's over no, it's a bunch of crap. <laughs> it's, it's total crap. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and understand too. I mean, we got a lot of political agendas going on here. We got the Fed stuck between a rock and a hard place mm-hmm. between political pressure and then what they're supposed to be doing. I mean, there's all kinds of weird stuff going on. And, and even if you've been, even if you're not quite, even if you haven't been listening to the news, you can still feel like there's something not quite adding up, mm-hmm. right? How is it that we have the lowest unemployment rate in history? How is it? That still, even though we had skyrocketing prices and skyrocketing inflation, still people seem to be doing just fine, even though their wages haven't even kept up with that inflation. I mean, you have all this stuff happening. It just, it just doesn't seem to add up, does it? It seems like there's got to be at some point where it has to slow down. And, and, and things never go in a straight line. We know right. this. I mean, we've been around the block long enough. Yeah. You know, I've got enough gray hair. To, to, in fact, most of these green hairs came from those those times, right? Yeah. It's from all that crap that's happened, and it, there's always cycles. And we so, talk about how it's not adding up, you know? Yeah. Like, I remember even, like, I want to say six months ago, heck, it might have been a year ago, mm-hmm. we're just watching everything happening, and we're saying this inflation is unsustainable, and we're going to have a recession, and, like, the feds are raising their rates to force pain upon us. Uh-huh. And yet we go to the mall... And you can't find parking. Right. And you go to the restaurant and it's still like a 45, 60 minute wait. Mm-hmm. And it's like, 
the data tells me there should be more problems. Right. But there doesn't appear to be a whole lot of problems, at least mm -hmm. on the outside. It seems like everyone's continuing on like it's no big deal. Yeah. It's like the Lego movie. Everything is awesome. Right? Everything is awesome. Everything right. is awesome. Right. Yeah. It, 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 you're right. Because the feds actually have said, they've admitted, they said their whole purpose is to, one, get the rates higher than inflation, but two, they also want to make sure that there's some kind of pain. There has to be. There has to be some there has pain. To be pain. Yes. Like they want layoffs. They like, want people to lose their jobs. It's not a secret. This is not a conspiracy theory. Like they no. said over and over, they, we need we need more suffering. It's not, not their mm -hmm. words. We yeah. need more job loss. We need more unemployment. Right. Right? Yeah, but, they want they want to see it in check more because they know if there's full employment, it's going to keep driving prices up, mm -hmm. and they want to control that inflation. Right. Right. They want to adjust demand. They want to reduce demand, mm -hmm. and the best way to reduce demand. It's for people to lose jobs. Which is such a dumb way to do it. There's multiple ways to do it, right? That's the old method that they've always used. Well, they only have one tool. They only have one. They're only using one tool, which is the interest rates, right? Yeah. They said they had multiple tools in their toolbox, remember in 2020, right? And they talk about selling off their balance sheet. Mm -hmm. They're not. They're not slowing down their spending. They're still printing like crazy. Mm -hmm. So if they really want inflation to stop, why do they keep printing more money? Why do they keep making it easier mm -hmm. to keep full employment? It just yeah. it just doesn't seem to make sense. Have they have they not slowed down? I have not paid attention the money printing. Yeah, the money supply is, is still higher than it was pre-2020. Well, it's definitely higher. Yeah, but, but no, have the, they not tried to call some of that back? Or is, is raising interest rates not a function call? I, I'm still kind of detached, not detached, unclear on this, on yeah. this principle. Um, I thought by raising interest rates, it's causing borrowing to go down. By causing money to, by causing borrowing to go down, they right. are reducing balance sheets. But is that not how it works? It's not. No, I mean, the, the feds, the, I mean, they have their own balance sheets, of course, and they're supposed to be selling it off. Mm -hmm. But in March of this year, they actually bought a bunch more. So they actually pumped more money in the economy, mm -hmm. which is, again, is the opposite of what they claimed, right? They were still right. raising rates, and then they pumped more money in. Mm -hmm. so, it's, so it's like one thing is not like the other. Right. It's not so, quite matching up. So is they're it? still printing money. So they're still printing money. They're still going bullish on the dollar. or really, And, and probably, if you think about it, with all the the debt and the spending that needs to happen, right? Especially mm -hmm. with the government having their, their debt crisis happening, like, oh, where's the ceiling going to be? Mm -hmm. You know, they, they, they're obviously caught in a tough place because they're elected by politicians, but they're supposed to be independent of politicians, right? right? But it's like saying, oh, no, I, I don't care about my boss. No, my boss doesn't influence me. Yeah, but the boss is the one that hired you. Of and course they, they influence you. you. Yeah, and they can remove you. If they don't like what you're doing, if it makes it look less favorable for their party, yeah. they're going to fire you, right? right. So. So we got all this little these games going on here that's affecting us day after day. And you like when you follow the data, like uh, credit card spending is up, balances are higher. They actually hit about the one trillion dollar mark yeah. at this point. Well, I, I would say not that spending is up, although that that, that mm -hmm. may be another way to look at it is that total credit card debt is higher than it's ever yes. been before. Right. Right. And people were paying down some of their debt with the stimulus money. Yeah, they were. Right. So like we saw credit card debt as a country. Mm -hmm. all, uh, all together go down. Yeah. And then the moment the stimulus checks stopped coming, people didn't adjust their lifestyles. That's right. They just maxed out their credit cards. Yep. Savings rates go down. So that's the thing you watch. You watch what happens to savings rates, mm -hmm. credit card balances, and then you look for like auto loan defaults, mm -hmm. right? Because when and you get auto loan, auto loan defaults, defaults yeah, yeah, that's not good because that's something that people usually need. It's like house foreclosures, but it usually comes first, mm -hmm. right? And so we're seeing that number go up. So it, everything's showing that people are just consuming the money that was given to them three years ago. Yeah. And now we're kind of moving to a place where they're just like, oh, I'll spend out, you know, get rid of whatever I can, sell off my assets, you know, things like that. 
but at what point does it get to where they say, I got nothing left, mm-hmm. right? I'm stuck. That's yeah. kind of what I'm seeing happening right now. And when that happens, that's when it, you're going to see things really hit the fan. So when you're saying you're seeing these things happen right now, what does that mean? That means like when you look at like the quarterly or even monthly numbers, mm-hmm. like you're watching that trajectory, they're going, like balances are going up on credit cards, defaults are going up, savings are going down. When you see that happening, eventually people run out of money. Right. When they run out of money, see, that's the real thing. It's always about money flow. It's not mm-hmm. about, you know, the interest rates and stuff. Like the interest rates, the whole purpose of it is to stop people from spending more money, from using money to grow, grow and expand their businesses right. and whatnot. And that's true. That does help. But ultimately with the consumers, like the everyday Americans, if they don't have money to really spend more, they're going to start cutting back more and more and more because mm-hmm. they're not going to have anything left. They have to. They have to, right? Especially if, if they don't give them more credit. And it's just the government. If you don't give the government any more credit, right, they have to actually prioritize what they're going to spend money on. They're going to start cutting back. That would be nice. It would be nice. Not likely, right? But that, but that's what happens to us. The reality is we don't really get that luxury. We're not given this unlimited line of credit. Mm-hmm. At some point, it's going to get to a point where they're going to say, either I have to get that second job, which many are starting to do, or two, I'm going to have to cut back my spending, and that means less money flowing. And when there's less money out there, when people start holding on to their money out of fear, mm-hmm. that's what goes from a recession to a depression. Are we seeing that? You're saying you're seeing more people getting second jobs? Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've started to hear that, even just from normal people, just mm-hmm. picking up little extra jobs, doing a little bit of Uber on the side or something like that, or DoorDash or whatever it might be. There's starting to be people that are trying to raise money, even contractors. Like often mm-hmm. when we hire contractors for a house, almost all of them have a full-time job and then they're trying to do it like a night job by yeah. doing these contracts on the side. Got it. Okay. So, because what I've seen, like, it seems to go really popular in the last couple of years. I haven't seen it so much recently, and maybe mm-hmm. I'm just not the audience for it. Uh, side hustles. Yeah. Or like side hustles was like the biggest thing. Like, what are some things you can do, right? And uh, I did an actual whole reaction video I did with my daughter about it, right? Like, there was like pressure washing. There uh-huh. was like selling knickknacks on Etsy and this and that. Yeah. So... Are you saying that right now people are picking up more side hustles as well, or is it just getting second jobs? Yeah. I, I would say side hustles more. Yep. Got it. Okay. So you, you, you feel like this recession is happening. Mm-hmm. And the title, again, is how to protect your, protect your assets from this upcoming recession. Yeah. We can't predict the future, mm-hmm. but like, how do you feel it's going to look? What's the time frame? Yeah. You know, time frame, it's hard to say. I mean, I expect it to happen already. And it seems like, again, it's almost like they're trying to create this soft landing, as the feds will say, right? They're trying to push it out. But at some point, markets always have to come back into balance. So soft landing, is it just you create a bubble and you're like trying to keep the bubble there? Mm-hmm. And maybe it can slowly start deflating instead of, instead of popping. I, I think at some point it has to pop. If it doesn't, I'm actually more concerned. Cause, really? Yeah, because think of what a soft landing means. It means no growth. Right. And it's kind of like this, like when you see stock markets, they go, they go up and they go down. Right. And, and usually the, the faster they go down, the faster it stops and starts to go back up. Right. Well, what happens when it goes flat? Like the stock market in the 1970s was basically flat for an entire decade. It didn't really go anywhere. Really? It had okay. ups and had some downs, but it kind of just stayed right there flat. That was a, it was a decade that, be, that no one would want to be in the stock market. You're like, I might as well put my money in the bank and yeah. make more. And so I think it's worse. If you try to delay something, all mm-hmm. it does is it just keeps it going longer. You know, it just imagine like the stock market in any market, right? It has this invisible line that goes up and it bounces off that line. They call it yeah. like trend lines, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if all of a sudden that trend line is still going up and you go way high and then you just go flat, 
you got to wait until that line catches up. Yeah. And then they meet, but it can be years and years down the road. That's what many people refer to as stagflation, right? That's worse than inflation in many ways. Why is stagflation worse? Stagflation is worse because it's nice when you have those market downs, right? Think about in the real estate space. I mean, we, we pray for crashes, mm -hmm. right? I mean, th I mean, how many of us would love to go back to 2010 or 2011 and say, you know what? I'm so glad I've got a couple million dollars in cash mm -hmm. to go buy whatever I want. Well, when COVID happened, mm -hmm. I was ecstatic. Yeah. Because I was around in 2009 and 11, mm -hmm. and I was watching all the rich people just gobble up properties. That's right. And I was like, man, it sucks that I'm broke right now. Uh-huh. This sucks. But the next time this happens, I'm going to be ready. And man, beginning of COVID, I was so ready. Mm -hmm. And then it didn't happen. And then it didn't happen. It was yeah. like magic. Right. Yeah. And look at the Great Depression, too. Great Depression was a hard crash, mm -hmm. right? And it, and it didn't just happen once. There's multiple recessions within the 1930s. Well, think of uh, guys like like Joseph Kennedy, right? John F. Kennedy's dad. So he was a bootlegger in the 20s. But then, of course, they legalized alcohol and his business wasn't great. His net worth in 1929 was $4 million. By 1935, his net worth in just six years went from $4 million to $100 million. Why? Because he had cash and he went and he bought a bunch of commercial property in New York because it had tanked, mm -hmm. right? So we like it when things come back into balance. We right. like those opportunities, right? That's why whenever you hear people say, do this, invest in this, no, do the opposite, right? You know, if someone says, like in 2022, one of the things I did to protect my wealth was everybody was saying, deploy all your capital, get your cash out because you don't want to lose inflation. Mm -hmm. Don't you dare keep it in the bank. Don't you keep it steady. Don't keep it in that whole life, right? Just get it out there and invest. And yeah, I was doing investing, but when I started hearing everybody say that, even the, the dumb money, as they say, like mm -hmm. even the average American, that's when I knew it was the time to start building up more cash. Right. And, and then of course, you know, that's what I'm preparing for, for that very reason. So get back to your point, stagflation, right? Why is it bad? Because without those crashes, if you can just imagine, imagine real estate prices just staying elevated, not going up, not really going down. Let's just say they stay pretty elevated, just mm -hmm. stay about the same level. Well, how's that gonna work when you're, I mean, you can still do flipping, in that right. business, right? You can still do stuff, but the consumer's gonna say, well, I'm waiting for the price to go down. I don't feel any better. My pay's not going up either. Mm -hmm. So I'm not getting an increase in pay. The prices are coming down. They're basically still whining about the same things they're whining about until they say, well, this is my reality, but now I can't afford it anyways. So stagflation then just basically stagnant? It's stagnant, right. Got it. But it's stagnant, but it's kind of like, if you're not winning, you're losing, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's very much that, that way. And so you need those market cycles. Even though market cycles can hurt, we need it. It's just like winter. You need winter because you need it to wipe things out. I know you're in Arizona. There's no such thing hardly as <laughs> you. You put on beanies when it's 65 degrees outside. Right. I get it. But uh, but you know, but for the most part, like you know, even even in Arizona, right? Plants actually kind of refresh themselves. Mm -hmm. They kind of have to die, just like fall. It has to die and go back in the earth to create something new. Right. Market cycles are no different. They need that kind of death. It doesn't mean death for you, however. It does mean that it just needs a cycle. Right. So we're talking about, it should have happened already, time-wise, time mm -hmm. but it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't. So do you feel like it's like knocking on a door, like it's just any day now, or it's like a couple quarters? It could either be a couple quarters, or they could be what they, they call kind of like the black swan event, mm -hmm. like something happens. I mean, like as we're recording this, we're talking, we, we just recently heard about, heard, heard about <laughs> <laughs> we just recently heard about uh, the credit rating of the U.S. Just by one, beer, one, one credit rating service, right? 
saying, oh, we don't like it. We're going to give you a double A rating instead of the triple A. Yeah. And that, that was just a couple of days ago. Who was that? Uh, that was uh, not Moody's. It was uh, Fitch. Fitch. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, Finch. 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 Whatever the heck. Fin- yeah. yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And, and, and the administration immediately was like, whoa, we don't agree with this. Like, everything's fine. Yeah. Exactly. Like, no, 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 no. They're, they're just being mean. You know, yeah. I, I, know what, I know what party they are, right? Mm-hmm. They're trying to blame them, say, oh, you're just too Republican for right. us. But no, they downgraded them saying, no, you're, you're, you never solved the debt ceiling issue. You guys still deal with Capitol Hill, you know, 2021, January 6th thing. You're right. Like, you guys don't have anything figured out. You're not any better off. Yeah, not only are you not solving uh, present problems, you're not thinking about the future. Yeah. You're <laughs> only looking backwards. You're kicking the Social Security can down the road. I mean, we got baby boomers that are already in retirement right now, right? I mean, we're, we're almost having Gen X starting to enter retirement. Mm-hmm. They don't have enough money for all that. But again, they just say, oh, the next administration will deal with it. And they'll just keep kicking it down until it hits 2026 or 2028, and they're going to be frantically trying to figure things out because they will be yeah, well, broke. Well, you can't fix anything by then. No. <laughs> I don't know if you can fix it today, but you definitely yeah. won't be able to fix it by then. Okay, so um, we don't know exactly when, but like, how bad do you think it can go? Well, give you an example. I mean, I, I watch the stock market a lot, right? Because most people I talk, talk to on my podcast are people that are stuffing money in their 401ks, they're you know, the average people just trying to do that kind of stuff. Very unfortunate. Very unfortunate, yeah. Um, but uh, but the thing I watch with the stock market, like I, I also watch trend lines. I used to be a stock trader. Mm-hmm. So I look at the S&P 500 trend line. Well, you're the anti. I'm the anti-financial advisor, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, so, but I used to be a stock trader. I used to be a financial advisor as well. Um, I even taught people how to trade stocks and options. Mm-hmm. When you look at that long-term trend line, right? So the last time that SP came down and hit a bottom and then bounced back up was 2008. 2009 and then it's been up higher above it and it could take decades before it comes back down again it doesn't mean it's going to come back down but if the s p were to come back in a balance again it's right now like right around 4500 right it would have to come down to like 1800 if it tried to do it today now it probably won't because again it's going to meet somewhere in the middle but still think about it what if it went from 4500 down to 2000 that's more than a 50% loss yeah. of people's retirement accounts, mm-hmm. especially those that are baby boomers, uh, where I know most financial advisors are telling you not to, not to take your money out of stocks because you need to put it in because you can't make enough and all these other bonds and things like that. So if they put a lot of their money in the stock market, what's going to happen to them? It's going to create total panic. It's going to create hysteria. If it does, even, even if it drops, I would say even if it drops 30 40%, we would see some major, major panic happening. Yeah. So we, that's the thing is like, if that were actually to come back in a balance again and, and then bounce, great. You know, you can make money off of that too mm-hmm. if you're on the right end of it. But if you're yeah. the one riding that roller coaster down, mm-hmm. that's a scary ride to be on. And then your concern is how bad it could be is that everyone's stock portfolio would adjust by more than 50%. Oh, yeah. And think about that. If that happens to you, right? I mean, if you were retired and all of a sudden you watch your money disappear, you're going to be wondering what to do with the rest of your life. You're going to wonder how, I mean, you're most, the average 401k balance is like less than a hundred thousand bucks, mm-hmm. right? Uh, even for retirees. So they're trying to live on as little as they can while they're living on social security. Mm-hmm. So that's going to put a lot of pressure on social security. It's going to put a lot of pressure on them saying, well, maybe I got to keep working to, into my seventies now or go back to work. And then of course now everybody's fighting for the same jobs, mm-hmm. right? All this kind of cr- Craziness could happen. And well, that's kind of happening right now. I think, I think that's one of the reasons why unemployment is so low is that people won't quit because they can't afford to quit. It's true. Actually, they, they just, I just saw a recent survey from a Northwest Mutual actually yeah. came out. And even Transamerica did a study too 
that even retirees, the current baby boomers, are saying, you know what, I'm going to retire at 71. Yeah. So the younger you go, the younger they think they'll retire. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, you got the, you know, the millennials and even like the Zoomers, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, I'll retire at 55 or 60. But those that are like 60 are saying, no, nah, I got to wait till at least 70. Yeah, it's depressing. It's depressing because it just means you're going to work until you die. And that was my dad's story, right? I mean, he's kind of on the forefront of the baby boomers. He was born during World War mm-hmm. II. And, uh, you know, for him, I mean, like he, I remember I was, I was his first financial advisor, right? Probably the only financial advisor. Mm-hmm. Cause, uh, and I was shocked because I remember sitting down with him. This was 20 years ago. And I'm looking at his, and he said, hey, look at my finances. I'm 61 years old. I want to retire. Let's do this. So I sat down with him, saw his money for the very first time in my life. Because he never opened up. He was the penny pinching, saving, like really save, save, save away slave, right? Mm-hmm. He was in saving slavery. He was saving his 401k, paid off his house debt free by the time he was you know, 18 years into right. his mortgage. I mean, he was like Dave Ramsey's best friend. In fact, Dave Ramsey probably learned from my dad. <laughs> I guarantee it because my dad's older. All right. So anyways, okay, I can't guarantee it. But, uh, but anyways, but I mean, he'd been doing everything right. And then when I sat down with him, I said, Dad, well, based on what you have here, what you've saved in your 401k, even though you've been maxing it out, you've been, you paid off all your debt, the problem is you better hope you die in five years because you will run out of money in five years mm-hmm. without Social Security, right? He was 61 at the time. I said, with Social Security, you can stretch out a little bit longer. And he's like, well, I don't want, I don't want that to be the case. I, I like to live. Yeah. And I said, well, I don't know what to do for you, Right. And that's the thing, like as a financial advisor, he was doing everything right. That's what got me out of financial advising. When I realized even someone who did everything right mm-hmm. couldn't retire, who expects yeah. anybody else to. And we're seeing that today. The same situation is playing out over and over and over. Yet, are we seeing that in the news? No, hardly no. at all. Like we'll see people saying they're not prepared for retirement or people have unrealistic expectations of retirement. We hear those kind of things based mm-hmm. on the numbers, not matching up with their thoughts. Most people think they're going to be able to retire and they can't. Right. And so I mean, even real estate investors, I mean, it still affects you too, because if these people go broke, this is going to affect your business as well. How? Well, think about it. If people start holding on to their money, right? Mm-hmm. If money stops exchanging in the, in the economy, everybody stops getting paid. Yeah. Right? Now, it doesn't mean you can't make money in that economy, because obviously I just mentioned Joseph Kennedy made lots of money mm-hmm. in that, that economy, right? But he was just buying depressed assets. He was. And he had a lot of cash going in. Right. See, I understand the Great Depression, a one... You know, we always hear about people having a worse life, but only a third of people actually were worse off during the mm-hmm. depression because there was about a 20 to 25% unemployment rate during that time, right? Well, 33% had to live on less. Those are the stories we hear about in the news. The other third just- Well, t- and I think in our history books. In the history books too, yeah. right? It was like, it was like everybody was broke. Yeah, everyone, everyone was like living on the streets and there were these long red lines. Exactly. Yeah. I challenge you to watch the movie Cinderella Man, right? If you remember that movie with Russell Crowe back around mid-2000s, great movie mm-hmm. about, about the boxer Jimmy Braddock, right? Well, you'll see him, like, for example, he's got his hands in his pockets. He's about to go to get welfare. And he sees, like, this, this uh, couple coming out with their kid. Mm-hmm. And they've gone Christmas shopping. And they're all happy. Like, well, how Ron Howard made that movie, he actually used reality. Because mm. a third of the people were like Jimmy Braddock, who were going broke, starving, right? Like giving his food to his kids, and he would go to work hungry. There was another third that just tightened the belt. They'd live a little bit more cheap, but they were able to get through it. The other third prospered. That third actually got richer. Mm-hmm. Those people had the cash going in. They weren't speculating. Like some of the problem is a lot of people were actually gambling, throwing their money in the stock market. They were actually borrowing money from the bank to put in the market, which well, you can't do anymore. Kind of <laughs> like last year with crypto. 
Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's and that's why like you won't see banks say, "Oh, I'll give you, I'll bar- I'll lend you money for crypto." Mm-hmm. Right now, you have margin accounts you can yeah. use for like stock trading and whatnot, but they can call it mm-hmm. anytime they want. Right? It's it's not it's not the same anymore. So you can't totally do the same thing that people did. But I see gamblers all the time, and you yeah. do too. I know. Like right. there's people that that think they're going to strike it rich mm-hmm. and they're going to swing for the fences, and they usually strike out. The best thing you can do right now, if we're talking about protecting your assets is really start to gather your cash, gather your assets. You can still keep investing, keep keep your business going. Whatever business or job or career you're in, mm-hmm. keep that business going because that is your economic engine to keep income coming in. But have profit, have extra that you keep putting away, mm-hmm. build up those reserves and building up fast because you can either, you can be on one of the two sides of the coin of history, right? That we know that something is gonna happen. There's gonna yeah. be a recession of some sort. Well, there always will. Always will. Like regardless of what you believe, politically, this or that, mm-hmm. right? Whether you like Fox News or MSNBC, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Reality is recessions occur. Yep, they occur. And if you don't if you miss this one, there's gonna be another one. All right. You might have to wait another decade, like, but it's gonna happen again. Like you and I were just talking about earlier. Yeah. 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 There's always gonna be something like that. How you prepare yourself for those times, you mm-hmm. know, when you I mean, that's why I always say boring is sexy, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes the most boring stuff of, hey, I'm going to keep cash on the side and no, it's not going to do anything. Or, you know, I, I've been storing more of my life insurance because yeah. at least I get paid some tax-free mm-hmm. returns, but it's not going to make me rich right. by itself. But if I have that cash available and ready to go and ready to deploy when those things do turn south mm-hmm. and everybody else doesn't have cash to deploy, that's when you actually become like a king or a queen. So I want to touch on this, but before we do, I just want to go back to one last thing earlier. Yeah. So you are saying, when I was asking what recession looks like, you were saying... S&P normalizing. So mm-hmm. I guess more or less what you're saying is that the S&P is outside the tr- historic trend lines. Mm-hmm. And a balancing would be going back to, because it, it's outgrown the, oh, yeah. the historic 2 to 4%. For sure. Okay. Yep. That's an interesting perspective. Is that like a common perspective? I, I've never heard it re- like resetting it in that context, you know, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, in the financial advisor world, it's not a common perspective, right? Because okay. there's never a bad time to invest in the stock market when you're a financial advisor because you're a financial salesperson, you right. know? But, I mean, among those of us that have done trading, yeah, like we look at different trend lines. Now there's little mini trend lines like, like you know, hey, it's in an up market, you know, it's in a Candles. bull market, you can follow that. Yeah. But eventually that's that trend's gonna break mm. and, and that's what's happened. So if I look at this like I'm a trader, like I wanna bank on the stock market. And when I say the recession, the recession and the stock market aren't the same. You can have right. recessions, the stock market go up, you yeah. can have boom times and then the stock market go down, right? right. They can be independent, but the thing I worry about, of course, is that it's all about money flow, right? Mm-hmm. It's about how much people are exchanging money. The yeah. more money that people are exchanging and spending and using, and that includes even getting money from banks, right, or whatever it might be, the more that we're exchanging money, the wealthier everybody becomes. Yeah, well, and I think this is one of the things that I think most people, unfortunately, most people don't understand the importance of the velocity of money. Yeah. Right? Like, if I got a dollar and I give it to Chris, mm-hmm. and Chris doesn't have to pay as much in taxes, and he gets to keep most of it, mm-hmm. he's got 95 cents to go spend somewhere else. That's right. Right? And then that 95% that 95 cents someone else gets, he can go spend 90 cents somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Right? So that dollar gets spent multiple times. That's right? right. If money's flowing, it's good for the economy. That's right. If money's not flowing, yeah really bad for the economy and i think most people miss this most people that don't understand uh what's the word i'm looking for how 
most people that believe we should have a, a larger government and more taxes don't mm -hmm. understand the consequence and how damaging it is if if everyone's paying a bunch of taxes that that dollar just can't go as far. There's just not as much momentum. Yeah, because a larger bite is taken out of the apple every time it's it's passed. Right. So anyway. Maybe boring, but the velocity of money is really important. It's very important. <laughs> it's everything. Economy. Yeah, it yeah. is. I mean, it's it's true in your own personal economy, right? Because mm -hmm. the faster that you're doing transactions, the more money you make. When you teach sales, right? Right. I mean, that's exactly what you're teaching people is to create more speed of money coming in and out of your life. Right. And then if you invest back in those ads or whatever you're doing, and you're into those salespeople, and it comes back, like that's mm -hmm. the whole reason you're investing, right? Right. But when people stop. Like, and you know, you've seen this, right? When people stop putting dollars into marketing and the sales are like, oh, I need to shrink this. All of a sudden their income also shrinks. Mm -hmm. That happens on a, on a global scale, on a national scale, all that happens. Absolutely. You know, and you're right with the taxes. Like, I mean, they'll say, now the argument will be, well, we're, we're taking from the rich to give to the poor, mm -hmm. right? Those corporations, they have, they just blow money. But somebody assumes that a, somebody who owns a corporation, say like Elon, Elon Musk, for example, right? They assume that he's just going to sit on cash, which we all know, if you've read anything about Elon Musk, he doesn't even have cash, mm -hmm. right? He has to borrow from his stock to get himself cash, yeah. right? He's always putting out cash into the economy. That's why traditionally they've always give tax breaks to the, the corporations, not just because they can pay the big money and that helps. Right. But it's because it does actually create an effect. Mm -hmm. But if you take from the rich and you quote unquote give to the poor, what do you think they're going to do with it? You know, spend it. Spend it, right? Which goes right back to who? The rich. <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah. It's like it's like if you have a pool and you're just like, oh, I'm going to take from the deep end of the pool. I'm going to pour it in the shallow end. Mm -hmm. What happens? It just goes right back. Yeah, right? no, we know that if we simulate the economy, the money goes back. It, it yeah. gets redistributed eventually in the end anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so. Going back then, so the question is, how do you protect your assets? Yeah. Right? So we talked about, here's how bad it can be, mm -hmm. right? And I don't think you're wrong, mm -hmm. unfortunately. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it's right around, if it's, whether it's right around the corner, whether it's in two years, whatever, something is going, something has to happen. Yep. So then what should someone do to protect their assets against that? Get lean and get liquid. Mm -hmm. That's what I recommend, right? Yeah. Is, uh, and I, re I recommend that back in 2020, and I'm still talking about it today, is get lean in your business. Mm -hmm. You know, don't, you know, like actually, we, we've seen this a lot in our mastermind groups, right? Tracking your freaking numbers. Like, be anal about it. Mm -hmm. Like, know exactly what's your ROI? What's your cost on ad spend, right? What's your cost on even just the money that's going out to pay your employees? Is it mm -hmm. coming back? Is it really right. worthwhile investment? Be very intentional with the money you're using to create more profit. Mm -hmm. Get lean. And that means get lean at home. I don't mean... You have to cut out everything joyous out of your life, cut out all your trips or whatever it might be. That's yeah. not what I mean, right? Put money into things that you enjoy, that bring you joy, but be a wise steward of your money. Yeah. And, and I know we talked about that on the show like two years ago, like mm -hmm. stewardship and such, right? But it really is about stewardship. Is how do you make sure you can make the most of what you have to be profitable mm -hmm. and keep increasing your income, keep increasing your revenue, but when you're doing that, increase profits along with it. Don't yeah. just keep reinvesting money into your business because you can do that, but eventually, if you just keep putting money back in your business, nothing ever comes back of profit, and then you won't be liquid, which is that second point, right? Well, and that's that's my own personal mistake, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was hustle and grind, hustle and grind, take that dollar, put it back in your business, right? And it's yeah. great, right? Until the environment changes. Mm -hmm. And the environment change could be one of a few different things. It could be COVID, yeah. right? Um, I, had, I didn't have a monopoly, 
But I was doing pretty well in PPC, you know, mm-hmm. buying houses. Uh, I was doing pretty well. I mean, it was basically me and Sean Terry, right? Like, yeah. And really, like, 99% Sean Terry and, like, 1% of me, right? But, like, <laughs> that was really the environment PPC for the longest time. Mm-hmm. And then this company comes along, Open Door. Yeah. Right? And what happens? They've got way more money to spend in marketing than me. And they can pay more for houses. Yeah, ridiculously more. Right? So where does that leave me as a house buyer? Right? Yep. So at the time, without great sales skills, it left me in a really, really bad spot. So I'm taking this money. I'm putting it back in the business. Right? I know that I'm going to continue to grow. It's going to continue to grow. And like nothing bad is ever going to happen. Right? Mm-hmm. And then, boom, open doors there. Yeah. Boom, offer pads there. Well, this hustle and grind, and I'll pay myself more one day. Well, that one day got pushed. <laughs> Push back way on. further down the road. Yeah, even as a realtor, you know, uh, around the same time while I'm buying houses with PPC, my competitive advantage was PPC for uh, on the realtor side as well. Right, mm-hmm. I wasn't showing houses; I was buying leads through pay per click, mm-hmm. and then giving those leads to realtors, and then we would pay fifty fifty on the commission. Right? Yeah, they keep half, I keep half. Good situation for Steve. Yeah, right. And then one day, I think Boomtown was the big one. Right. Mm-hmm. Boomtown comes along and say, hey, what we'll do is you give us the money for the software and we'll manage the PPC for you. Mm. So what happens? Steve's competitive advantage vanished overnight. Yep. So for everyone that's watching, we're talking about, you know, like this, I'm going to hustle and grind and I'll pay myself one day. Mm-hmm. Things happen. And that one day gets pushed way down the road. It could be someday. You know, or yeah. never if you're not careful. Well, and that was like for me, and you know, we, we, we brought up COVID a couple of times. Mm-hmm. When they were talking about all the shutdowns, yeah, right? Like when shutdown was before the shutdowns, mm-hmm. shutdowns was a conversation. Should we do this or not? Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to my wife, like, I don't like where this is going. And she's like, why do you care so much about this? And I was like, because I'm that entrepreneur who has been putting money back into the business. Mm-hmm. And all those families that have been saying one day we're going to pay off, one day we're going to be able to take all this money that we've been reinvested in this business and we can finally retire. Mm-hmm. And there were millions of people whose dreams got crushed the days we started the shutdowns. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. So, all right. So we talked about, uh, so understand your return on ad spent, return, understand the return on labor. Mm-hmm. I understand the cash conversion cycle, which is not a topic a lot yeah. of people talk about. Mm-hmm. But like when you spend this dollar on ads, how long does it come back? Because yeah, if it Speed. takes mm-hmm. if it takes three months for that money to come back, mm-hmm. pretty good situation. It takes twelve months to come back. Man, you got to be able to make you have you got to be able to maintain that advertising for twelve months. That's a lot of liquidity, right? Need. Before that money comes back, and we see this a yeah. lot, you know, uh, with direct mail. Yeah, right. Direct mail has the longest cash conversion cycle. Mm-hmm. It's the best, one of the consistent, one of the best return on investments. Yeah. It was an extremely long cash conversion cycle. And we saw a lot of operators, uh, um, when things slowed down in 2022, mm-hmm. cut direct mail. That's right. Right. But you wouldn't know that if you didn't know your cash conversion cycle. Yeah. So you're talking about as far as uh, the, the uh, understanding your numbers. So understand what your return on investment is for every um, marketing channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, understand your return on labor, understand your cash conversion cycles. And if you understand that, you can run a leaner business. That's right. Really, I'll, uh, if I give any advice at all, if you remember anything, is do the opposite. Mm-hmm. Whatever everybody's telling you to do, yeah. do the opposite. So you talked about people cutting, cutting out paper mailing, right? 
well, if you cut out mailers, great, that opens up a market to do mailers. Mm -hmm. If everybody says, you know, email marketing is dead, that's the time I know it's the time to do email marketing, mm -hmm. right? Well, we saw this. I mean, uh, we have a mutual friend in Jason Lewis. Yeah. Right. And he runs Investor Machine. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, as a service provider, this sucks. All these clients that are canceling their direct mail, this sucks. Yeah. At the same time, he was doing great in direct mail mm -hmm. because since everyone else stopped doing direct mail in Utah, now he's got a monopoly he on direct mail. He stands out. Yeah. That's right. That's, that's a competitive advantage, right? Yeah. It's, it's just like, you know, we're hearing a lot of people talk about AI. You know, mm -hmm. if we're talking about like a marketing st standpoint, like, oh, I can just use AI to do everything. Mm -hmm. Well, as a result, I hired a woman that I know like focuses on actual psychology and storytelling, things like that. I'm like, screw you, AI. Mm -hmm. Like, watch this. Right. Watch what will start happening right now mm -hmm. where we can actually like get to the more emotional level versus just, oh, well, here's how we Google and like, here's the top five things you should do to create cash flow today, mm -hmm. right? That's great. It's useful. Yeah. But it doesn't quite hit on the same levels. Once everybody starts doing that, they start becoming like almost robotic. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying AI is that bad, by the way. I think it's actually kind of cool. Yeah. But it, it creates an advantage. It creates an open space in the market mm -hmm. for you to be able to stand out and create a lot more opportunity. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like when everybody says, hey, you don't need cash, get it out. Inflation's horrible. Get cash, mm -hmm. right? Get liquid. And even you're saying, like, if these cash conversion cycles start changing or anything starts, you have to pivot in your own business. Having cash on hand, even if it's sitting in a crappy bank, by the way, I'm, I have my own opinion about banks right now, but even if it's sitting in a bank, still that's better off than if you did anything else. But if you focus on profitability and say you do want to expand, and let's just say that things are contracting, banks will start to contracting money. But during that time of contraction, banks do still want to lend money out. They mm -hmm. still want to make their money do something. They will give it to the person that knows what they're doing that is profitable. The best stewards. Good cash flow. They're good stewards, right? You said, like you said, and then they be, they're also liquid because they know that oh, this person's wise steward of their money. They know how to make it work. They're profitable in their business. This is a good investment for me. Mm -hmm. You could look sexy to a bank now, and you keep preparing for that. Watch what will happen when everybody says, "Oh, I can't get loans for a bank," yeah. and then you're the one person's like, "I'm get, I'm, I'm just raking it in." And um, I think David Richter was the one that was on the show, uh, and he was talking about how he had a client who, um was running a business, mm -hmm. super profitable, right? You look at the P&L, it looked great. Yeah. And that guy got a phone call from the banks, like, hey, we're calling your loan. Like, why are you calling my loan? Like, the P&Ls look great. It's like, yeah, but we don't think you believe, we don't believe you understand how money works. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean I don't understand how money works? I run a profitable business. Yeah, but you're not understanding cash conversion cycle. Mm -hmm. You're not understanding that your actual, your cash balances are going down every month. The mm -hmm. way your business is running today your cash balance is going down every single week, uh, every single month, and we see a scenario where you're gonna be out of money. That's right. Right. So yeah, you run a profitable business, and like people, I remember the first time I heard this concept. Mm -hmm. How can you run a profitable business and run out of money? Mm -hmm. Happens all the time. Yep. Right. People don't understand um, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Um, the <sighs> cash versus accrual. Yeah, cash. Well, it's not just cash versus accrual. It's like. Mm -hmm. If I run, go back to the direct mail piece, right? Uh -huh. Like, yeah, I can be profitable, but if it takes me 12 months for my money to come back. Right. Right? Like, I, how many flippers have you talked to? Like, I'm making like 80K a flip, uh -huh. right? Yeah. But they're out of money. Right. Because they got money into this house, money into that house, right? Yep. Uh, they've got uh, direct mail. They got to pay for materials. Uh, all, like... Money's not moving. Money's not moving. Yep. 
all the earnest money deposits, right? Like, yep. it's not it's not unbelievable mm-hmm. to have 50, 80K out in earnest money. Yeah. If you're doing business, it's not unrealistic. Right. So it's, it's unfortunately, you know, more businesses go out of business because they're successful and they're, was it, they, they, they died of indigestion versus starvation. Right. Yeah. Yep. They couldn't handle that bigger volume. Well, if you ever watched the TV show Shark Tank, mm-hmm. right? It happens all the time. Like, why do you need capital? Well, we're trying to expand and grow, oh, yeah. and we're not profit. You know, we're not profitable right now. I've got all these orders. Be. I've got all these orders. I can't fulfill. Can't fulfill it. I don't have enough inventory to fulfill the orders. Right. right? I need more cash to do that. And it's true. Like that can actually happen. That's why, again, lean and liquid. Mm-hmm. Like those two things. If you keep your putting your focus on those two things, right? And you get yeah. books like probably David Richter recommended, like Profit First in Real Estate. Mm-hmm. You know, which he wrote with Mike Michalowicz, right? Yeah. Things like that. If you really start to you know, focus and become a student and really become a, not just a student, but a steward of your own game, right? And yeah. really manage your cash flow and your money well, you will come out on the other side, even not, not just on the other side of this recession, right? Not just a, a hero on the other side, right? But you'll be the envy of everybody. You'll mm-hmm. be like the success story people talked about, like, you know, Steve Train, remember him? Like, what he did in 2011, like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, you know, like right. people start saying that about you. Because you actually stood out by doing something different. And, yeah. and I wish more people would get that. If they just realize that you get lean and liquid now before things hit the fan, mm-hmm. you're going to be able to pivot. You're going to make better decisions. And I know this because I, I, I was the opposite of you, right? Like I got my butt kicked in the last recession. Mm-hmm. You know, I lost literally over a million dollars. Um, I went from millionaire to upside down millionaire. I was over a million dollars in debt. Yeah. All because I was trying to go big or go home. Mm-hmm. And I ended up having, well, not just going home, I lost my home. Like right. I had to foreclose on my house. I turned in my Mercedes even before they could for, you know, before they could repo it. I said, here, take it. Mm-hmm. And then they auctioned off for 30000 less, you know, than what I owed. And so they were calling me with collectors. I had collectors call me all the time. Friends didn't even call me anymore because I didn't have any more money. Mm-hmm. So it was just collectors calling me. They became my best friends. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, they were consistent. Yeah. The, that kind of situation, like I wish I could go back in a time machine and take my own advice, right? I yeah. wish I'd go back and, and be leaner than I was. Cause I was just like, I have money coming in all the time. Who cares? I can make yeah. a huge money on a flip. Who cares? I can, I'm good. Right. And then of course, when I couldn't do that anymore, then I'm like, well, now what? You know, now I'm in the hole 15, 16,000 a month. I'm leaking, I'm bleeding, I'm mm-hmm. running up credit. I'm running out of savings. I, didn't, I had savings. I was somewhat liquid. I just wasn't really liquid and yeah. I didn't have my cash flow under control. Had that been reversed, had I been prepared going into it and not as greedy mm-hmm. going into that last recession, I would have come out looking very different on the other side. I'm, yeah, I'm a multimillionaire now. I could have been a multi-decamillionaire mm-hmm. at this point had I done that. Well, and you talk about understanding your numbers. So yeah. truth is, I was running profit first for the longest time and then I mm-hmm. got lazy, right? I got yeah. complacent. Uh-huh. And so... You know, uh, when this this last one hit, and I guess it's not a recession. I don't know what the heck you call it, but when the rate <laughs> hike jumped, right? Yeah, it strongly impacted my business, right? And because I I was not as good with my numbers, I got you know kind of took my eye off the ball. Yeah, we went from half a million liquid to not even close to that. Yeah, <laughs> liquid, right? Uh huh. So um, we got a call, not a call. We had a conversation with the bank, mm-hmm. and uh, this was like um, not that long ago. And we're like, hey, like we used to have a relationship manager that would come to my office, right? Right, so that we can sign documents there. And they're like, yeah, you don't have enough money in your bank account for that anymore. I was like, well, that's <laughs> You've not. You've been a- demoted. <laughs> I've been demoted, right? I'm no longer a platinum member at that bank. Now yeah. we did move everything to another bank. That's a whole different story. But mm-hmm. 
to be told, Mr. Trang, you're no longer a platinum member, right? At Chase Bank. It's like, well, that's a nice middle finger to the face. Yeah. Right. But what what happened? I was not as as good. I was not paying as much attention because things were really good. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's kind of what you're talking about. Like if things are really good, I don't have to be as good with the money. And really, yeah. you need to have that uh that uh what's the word i'm looking for that discipline mm-hmm. when things are good to be, to be better prepared when things are not as good yeah. yeah you never you never count the number of breaths you take until there's no air left right yeah. <laughs> and you don't start counting your dollars until the dollars are disappearing right right it what if we could do the opposite right what if we could actually start counting our dollars when there's a lot of dollars coming in and i get it because that was the same thing i did yeah exact same thing it right. was like oh it's coming in it's so abundant it's like air Mm-hmm. I don't need to worry about it. Like I'm good. And yeah. and hey, I, and that's the thing. I was I was so so uh, really prideful, mm-hmm. right? I was like I was I was feeling I wasn't humble enough to realize that oh I may not have all the answers because I just thought well if something comes up I'll pivot I'll make it happen mm-hmm. right I'll just make it happen. Yeah. And then after a while I'm like I can't make squat happen. I'm in, I'm 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 lost. You yeah. know like I don't know what to do. And I think that humility is another mm-hmm. thing too. If even beyond just the profits is having that humility to know that. You know, crap can happen. You know, mm-hmm. I, I can get I can get thrown a curve and I'm gonna have to deal with it. But I know that if I'm lean and I'm liquid, mm-hmm. I actually can breathe a little bit. And when I can settle down my emotions and breathe, that's when I can make my best decisions. When you make mm-hmm. a decision out of abundance, of abundance mentality versus a scarcity mentality, mm-hmm. you make much better decisions. Well, absolutely. And you you know, we talk about um we prepare for events that we've experienced. Mm-hmm. Right. So, what, about, what event have I experienced? 2009 crash. Yeah. I was prepared for that. So, I remember specifically having a conversation with Eric Brewer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, sometime in 2021, 2022. And he's like, I don't know. Something doesn't feel right. I was like, yeah, whatever. Right. Like, if things, go, if things crash, we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Right. We'll figure it out. Yeah. And what we'll figure it out was if the market crashes like 60%, 40%, whatever, it's like, I've got all the relationships in the world. Mm-hmm. I can raise capital instantly to buy all these properties. That's not a concern at all. But that's not what happened last year. Mm-hmm. What happened last year was everyone's underwriting changed. The market didn't crash. Yep. The velocity just changed. Yeah. And I've not been in that environment where the velocity changes instantly overnight, but it doesn't affect the value. Yeah. Right? So I wasn't prepared for that scenario. Um, that's true. I mean, that, when people say, well, what's the next recession going to be like? I don't know. It's always different. It is always right? different. Y2K was different than the Great Recession. You know, yeah. even in the 90s, it was different then. Mm-hmm. It's always different. And real estate, for the most part, didn't get hit as hard until the last one. Right. Because of recency bias, everybody's like, oh, real estate's going to crash. That's one of the reasons why I, I kind of fight against a lot of the masses that say real estate's going to crash. Mm-hmm. I think mar- some markets could crash. I think California could crash easily, right? Yeah. But when it comes to a real estate crash, if everybody keeps screaming crash, mm-hmm. that's usually what won't happen. It's yeah. usually going to be something that people don't expect. Yeah. So it's usually like, it's not A or B. It's usually C mm-hmm. that nobody even knew. It was none of the above. Right, the black swan. The black swan. So you were talking about the, uh, the lean and the liquid. So mm-hmm. we haven't really t- talked a lot about liquid. Yeah. So what does liquidity mean to you? Or what, what's your target? Available cash. Mm-hmm. Cash on hand. However you can get to it. And that does not mean lines of credit. Mm-hmm. Right? Lines of credit can get pulled. You got it, right? I mean, that's one thing that, that was a mistake I made last time too in the last, last crash because I thought, 
I was a mortgage broker in that time too, because yeah. 2006 mortgage broker was great. Right. You know, it was good time to be a mortgage broker. Great time to be a mortgage broker. 2008, not so much. Yeah. Um, but I remember thinking, well, worst case scenario, I just get a line of credit. You know, so I'll, I threw a bunch of my cash into my house. Mm -hmm. Right. I was like, I'm just going to pay down my mortgage. I was kind of Dave Ramsing it a little bit. Right. Paying down my mortgage wasn't paid off. Mm -hmm. Paid it down. But the problem is, even though there's all this appreciation, of course, when things got tight, liquid got you know got caught up. Uh, banks, I remember banks actually stopped lending in 2007 because mm -hmm. I remember in July 2007, I went to get a cash out refinance and they said, oh, we just changed the requirements. You just need to get your credit score up two points. Mm -hmm. If you can keep it up two points by August, we'll do it again. So August of 20, you know, 2007, I go back in. They said, good job. You kept making your payments. Your score's higher. But last week, we changed the requirements. We need to do A, B, and C. We need Under, to, underwriting guidelines kept changing. They kept changing. And then by September, they said, oh, sorry, we don't do any of those anymore. Mm -hmm. Right? It was gone. That was something I never expected to happen, you yeah. know? And so that's why I don't believe in lines of credit necessarily. It's not bad to have, but mm -hmm. don't count on them. You need liquid cash, yeah. right? Um, get the money available. You know, so like I said, it could be in a bank. It mm -hmm. could be simply in a bank. But of course, we have the bank failures that have been an issue. So I keep the bulk of my money in my, my life insurance, mm -hmm. you know, not just because I offer, you know, like we sell life insurance. I mean, that's a, that only happened because I liked it so much, right? Mm -hmm. And because we found a need in the marketplace. But but really, like when I have like my three hundred thousand of reserves that my wife wants to kept kept there, that she wants three hundred thousand, we don't touch. Well, I keep two hundred fifty thousand in the life insurance, only fifty thousand at the local bank because mm -hmm. I know I can just go walk in that day and get the money from the bank. Right. Where I might have to wait a couple of days for my life insurance. Right. Yeah. But I know I'm making more money, and I'm actually able to get to that money faster. Um, so it just depends. Like I had another guy who was one of our friends in real estate. I won't say his name because he's a client. But he was like, he was actually asking one of our mastermind sessions. He's like, what do I do? Chase Bank's being a jerk to me. Like, and I've got millions with them and they still don't give me the time of day. Like, where do I move this money? I was like, dude, you already have a policy. Use it. Mm -hmm. So he ended up getting another one after that event, right? Because yeah. he's like, I'm going to get a second one now. I want to stay liquid and keep it in my control. Because mm -hmm. the thing with insurance companies is that they don't go out of business right. as much, right? Banks go out of business because they take higher risk. They're lending money and doing mm -hmm. stuff. Insurance companies legally can't do that. You yeah. know, so they're protected that way. But I also don't trust FDIC. So I keep liquid well, FDIC that. FDIC protects everybody now. Yeah, <laughs> supposedly with their 1.7% protection, you yeah. know. So uh, liquidity figures, though, like what is a target everyone should have? You know, in, in general, I would say personal. I actually would go for like 12 months of expenses mm -hmm. is what I'm going for personally. In business, minimum, and I say this very uh very cautiously, minimum, I would say two months of expenses mm -hmm. in your business. And then building up more for opportunities too. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like you got your emergency fund, right? So you got at least two months for business, six to 12 months minimum for your personal, and then building up other cash for opportunities. Yeah. And I'm not saying again, you don't invest to create more business, you know, generate more revenue, you know, doing your flips or doing wholesaling, whatever it might be. I'm not saying stop doing business altogether and just put all your money in cash. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm saying now you're just balancing out where you might be kind of siphoning off a little bit more towards profits and towards cash mm -hmm. and keeping it liquid. Yeah. So uh, percentage wise, it's whatever you can do. Yeah. yeah. I, I, mean, I don't care if it's recommend. 50 bucks a month. Like do it, you know, something. We generally recommend 36 months and then like the target of 12 months. Yeah. Right. That would be if, great. If you can get the 12 months now while everyone's running around with their hair on fire. You're fine. I mean, like going back to what we we're saying oh, earlier yeah. with direct mail, right? Like Jason Lewis is just gobbling it up in Utah, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, you know, we target 12 months. Um, and again, the reason why I'm asking is like, you know, like Marcus Krigler, another friend, uh -huh. right? Someone I look up to a lot. 
It's like, yeah, you should, you should have a million dollars liquid. Mm-hmm. If you have a million dollars liquid, everything's always going to be fine. It's like, that's great. Now we Depending just on the scale of business, right? Right. True. Yeah. But for most people in our mastermind, for yeah. most people listening to the podcast, a million dollars liquid, basically there should be nothing that can take you. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay. So three days, like bare minimum two months, ideally three months or more in business and then 12 months for personal. Mm-hmm. All right, so now that we're liquid, what should we do to protect our liquid assets? So here's what you can do, right? Like I said, you can keep some of the bank, mm-hmm. but again, I don't trust banks. That's where life insurance can come in. But, um, and this is a big but, don't fall prey. There's a lot of guys that talk about infinite banking, right? Mm-hmm. And they'll say, oh, we'll just dump in three quarters of a million dollars. So we have like a mutual friend in a mastermind that he reached out to me. And he actually, he reached out, he said, he's like, hey, Chris, I have a friend that got so that, that was that was told that got this proposal from this insurance agent to throw three quarters million dollar in and then put in a quarter million a year, mm. and, uh, and I was like, well, first he's charging way too much, and secondly, I wouldn't do that. Yeah. Like I'm like that's just paying the insurance agent triple the commissions. That's why he's telling you put in three quarters million because he gets paid more. Mm. I'm like I would back it off and do like no more than two hundred fifty three hundred thousand a year and start putting it that way. It's like like do it gradually over time versus mm. just dumping it in. Keep more in the bank for right now. Right. And, uh, and so he did, you know, that was, that was the thing. And he found out later it was actually his situation. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, and that's, and that's the thing you have to be aware of. So like, even if I use life insurance, I'm not saying dump in that million bucks in there today, mm-hmm. you might be dumping in a regular amount and based on cash flows, you can kind of figure out what that looks like. Yeah. Banks still could be good, but I would diversify among banks. Uh, I even do online savings accounts. Like I got one with capital one as a performance 360 mm-hmm. pays currently 4.3% as of this month. Better. I mean, it's not as good as what I can get on my life insurance side, and I have to pay taxes on that, which suck. But at least it's paying something more than my 0.1% credit union, right? Yeah. So there's different ways I would diversify based on how you can play the interest rate game. Mm-hmm. But just just don't park it all in one bank. You know, yeah. even the big banks. Everybody's like saying, "Oh, the big banks are going to be the safe ones right now. They're the ones gobbling up." But just like Lehman Brothers, just like <laughs> just like they're big, just like Lehman Brothers. Yeah, they're big. Yeah, <laughs> too big to fail, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean. Granted, there's something to that, but at the same time, you just never know, right? Yeah. I mean, who's to say Signature Bank or Silicon Valley Bank are going to be like the worst, mm-hmm. you know? And the fact that they say, oh, there's only three, although there's every week there's new banks failing. I mean, I, I just heard last week um, there's a big bank in California. I can't remember what it was called, but that one is getting bought by a bank that's 40 times smaller mm-hmm. than it. Like a local regional bank in Southern California is buying this big bank that failed, Right. I think it was like number 45 on the list of biggest banks in the U.S. Mm-hmm. St- it's still happening, right? right? So that's why I'm saying like uh, it's hard. It's a hard game to play. It's I, I wouldn't bury it in my backyard mm-hmm. for that matter, right? And I wouldn't I wouldn't even say like, oh, I'm going to store it in crypto. Or I'm going to store it in gold and silver, which you could do. Um, mm-hmm. And I do buy gold and silver, but I buy the bullion just as like a little insurance policy against bad inflation, mm-hmm. right? Same thing I can do with crypto, right? right. I can do the same thing there too, but... Again, one's got a little more variability than the other. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it's mostly just been banks, live insurance. Um, and then I pr- do a little extra protection with like, you know, gold, silver, and then mm-hmm. a tiny bit of crypto that I haven't sold off yet. Um, why whole life? Like, what are the benefits of whole life? The benefit is it's guaranteed. Um, minimum pays you at least 3% a year, which is still better than most banks, anyways. Um, and that's if they don't pay you a dividend. That's just the guarantee. Uh, the other reason is, like I mentioned, like they're, they don't fail. So, they're in the last, the Great Depression. Like there was 35,000 banks in 1929. After the Great Depression, there were 13,000 banks. 
So they got cut by almost about 60%. Yeah. Insurance companies, life insurance companies, four failed. Right. That yeah. was it. Um, and even now, since then, there's been other things put in place. I don't think there'll be as big bank failures nowadays because there's better things put in play. Same thing with life insurance companies. They have what's called light, what's called reinsurance that they buy up on themselves. Mm. So that if an insurance company, which is rare, if they ever do fail, a reinsurance company will step in and cover all your cash as well as your death benefit too. So it covers everything to make sure that either one, another insurance company buys it from you, mm -hmm. or two, they'll just cover it till you die and then they're done. Yeah. So they have insurance. That's like FDIC, but they actually have money. Right. <laughs> you know? So that's that's one reason. It's like it's like it's safer, pays higher returns, it's tax free. Um, and it's liquid. I can yeah. still use it. Um, but again, the caveat is it's designed the right way. Mm -hmm. Don't just buy the one from State Farm. Don't even buy every infinite banker that's out there because uh, we have mutual friends that are in the infinite banking business that will charge you double the costs mm -hmm. than you should be paying. So be careful of that. You got to yeah. be careful. Um, and if I remember correctly, also with infinite banking, there's a, an additional umbrella, right? Right. Well, that's the reinsurance companies, right? They, yeah. they can cover you. I'm talking about like, um, you know, God forbid you're, you run over somebody. Oh, you mean like you die? Well, not or, you die. I'm saying or you, liability. Oh, yeah, liability. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of benefits. I was trying to be negative on this. Come on, man. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it's true. Like uh, in most states, it's 100% protected from lawsuits and creditors, which yeah. in the real estate game is huge. Yeah. Or any, any business owner for that matter, right? Because if you get sued and somebody wins, they can get to your bank accounts. They can mm -hmm. take liens off that. They can get to your home equity somewhat. Mm -hmm. um, they can get to almost everything but a 401k and life insurance, right? right? Those are the only two places you can really be protected is right there. So you can have millions in life insurance, and even if they win, they can't put a lien against it. Right. Uh, and then, you know, you were talking about how you're the anti-financial uh, planner, mm -hmm. right? Or financial advisor. Which yeah. one was it? anti-financial advisor. Anti-financial yeah. advisor. People don't like me using financial planner because I'm not one, you know? Yeah. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that we were talking uh, about, you're, you're talking about like, you know, uh, the stock market going up down and, and the financial planner generally or financial advisor generally says you should buy this, you should buy that. It's always the right time to buy. Yeah, dollar cost average. Dollar cost average, right? Yeah. But then you look back how many, uh, and you're saying like, you know, your dad, right? He saved mm -hmm. his whole way. Like my parents did the same thing. They saved their whole way. Yeah. Uh, and then they maxed out their 401k and mm -hmm. this and that. And there's some people that say you can't save your way to wealth. I mean, mm -hmm. my parents did. Uh-huh. Right. But you look at the people that put money into the stock market and how many millionaires that creates. Yeah. And you look at real estate and how many millionaires that creates. I mean, so many millionaires have been created, I believe, from, from, from uh, you know, whether they're watching our show, Bigger Pockets, whatever, mm -hmm. there are a lot of millionaires being created through real estate. Yeah. Right. But the only people becoming wealthy on the stock market all live around Wall Street. <laughs> That's right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, they're making money off of people putting money in the markets. Yeah, off commissions. Yeah. Right? So you want to talk on that? Like why, like uh, for someone, you know, maybe this is for snippets later on, like why real estate versus the stock market? Yeah, it's because I was all stock market. I was actually against real estate in the beginning, right? Yeah. Why? Because you were, it, the, you were I, the guy I would call. It's like, hey, you know, you have anyone that'd be interested in diversifying real estate. It's like, no, we're not doing real estate. Like, yeah, don't, like real estate's fine, but this is where you should be putting your money, yeah. right? And, and I, w I was guilty of that. I mean, not because, I mean, that's just because that's the way you're trained. You're literally trained to be a salesperson, right? Those licenses that you get doesn't make you a financial expert. Those licenses you get just give you a license to sell, mm -hmm. right? That's all you're able to do. You're selling mutual funds or insurances. And that's it. Yeah. And I did both, you know? And uh, so the, the problem is, and I know there's people that even, even in the real estate space or coaching space will debate me on this because I had one debate me on it recently. He said, 
He's like, oh, no, no. Most people make their money in, in the stock market. I'm like, what? He's like, well, those people that were millionaires that had all had real estate, the thing is most of it was just their own home. He's not wrong, right? There, mm -hmm. I mean, when you look at the millionaire stats, and you can look them up. There's about 25 million millionaires in the United States. Mm -hmm. So about 8%. Every one of them has owns real estate. That's true. Yes, he's right. Some of them just own a property in California, mm -hmm. and they're middle class, and they just yeah. happen to be net worth millionaires because of that. But most of those people still have multiple properties. Mm -hmm. And it comes back to your question, right? Where do they make the money? Because, yes, there are a lot of millionaires and billionaires, multi, well, I'll say multimillionaires, that have money in stocks. Mm -hmm. Most billionaires just have their own stock, mm -hmm. right? Multimillionaires will put their money in other people's companies and stocks. But that's, is that the cause or the effect? Right. And I believe what you believe in that way, which is if you're looking for somebody who's starting from zero mm -hmm. and they're trying to get too wealthy to millionaire plus status, real estate's the best way to do it. You yeah. could be accidental with real estate and still make it right. Yeah. There's, there's plenty of people we've seen that just buy their neighbor's house or whatever. And mm -hmm. then they somehow become million net worth millionaires. Yeah. You can accidentally do it in real estate. You cannot accidentally do it in the stock market. No. I mean, okay. You could, but it's not likely. It's really not likely. You are more gambling. Mm -hmm. So when people say like, oh, well, stock market's the way to do it. No, like that's people after they've made the money. Either it's in business or real estate. Those are the two best places I've seen it. If yeah. you can have both, awesome for you because you're yeah. more likely to become a millionaire than anybody in this country right now. I look at stocks as legalized gambling. Yeah, right. Like it really is. You get to, and you feel like it's like the blackjack table, like because I was involved in this decision. Mm -hmm. right? I saw this was going to go up, so I bought it. Right? And we disregard all those that went down. Yeah. I knew this one was going to go up. You feel good about it. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a whole thing, right? Like uh, Tony Robbins' book, Money Mastered the Game. Mm -hmm. Like, man, how dis disillusioned I was about the stock market after reading that book. Yeah. Like, every mutual fund, not every mutual fund, maybe 90 plus percent of mutual funds, mm -hmm. right? They're just scams. Like, yeah. They, they, don't just, even, they don't even make market returns. They don't, like, they'll, 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 say is making this return mm -hmm. but they don't calculate like all their fees and commissions all out of it so yeah like the value of this stock has gone up but disregard like the one and a half percent management fee that we took out every year and one and a half percent compounded over 30 40 years pretty significant that's half your money right there yeah yeah with that that, rule, that compounding it's just rule 72 yeah. worked now against you right right in fact, uh, Fidelity actually came up with their numbers. Uh, millennials, right? 84% mm -hmm. of millennials will pick what's called the target date retirement funds in their 401k. 84%. 84%. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure I didn't make that up on the spot. 78% mm -hmm. of the time I do make up mm -hmm. statistics. No, yeah. just kidding. I think it's 84, 84, 86. I'm going on the low end. I think pretty sure it's 84% of Fidelity uh, millennials will pick their target date retirement funds. Mm -hmm. So if they predict that their retirement date is going to be 2055, well, cool. Fidelity has this nice, easy button you click that says, Retirement, target date fund, 2055, Yeah. right? Well, that's what most millennials are picking. I went and looked at the numbers. I said, let's look at the last 10 years compared to the S&P 500, which isn't that great either. Mm -hmm. um, let's compare that to what Fidelity's funds have done. Well, the S&P 500 in the last 10 years from 2013 to 2023 did a 10.1% return. The Fidelity target date funds, all those retirement funds did 8%. Mm -hmm. So they were 2.1% less than right. the stock market. The average stock market, just so you know, the S&P 500 only averages about 7.7% in the last 30 years. Yeah. So do the math. If you, let's just say it's 10% less, right? That means you're not making 7.7. You're making closer to like five and a half. Mm -hmm. But wait, there's more. Because you just said those, those fees, there's also a 0.75% fee that comes out of that. Mm -hmm. 
So that leaves them with about a 5% return or less. Yeah. So you're making less than 5% a year. But all the financial advisors are telling you, oh, put in 10, 12%, mm-hmm. compound that over 40 years, and that's how much you'll have. And yeah. oh, inflation is only 2%, which is bull crap. So that's why everybody comes out with wrong numbers. That's why everybody who saves, the sad thing is everybody gets blamed for not saving enough. Mm-hmm. But the truth is they're saving just fine. They're just saving in the wrong places, and they're given over-promise, under-deliver results, but the financial advisors won't put the blame on themselves. Right. They'll put the blame back on you. It's like, well, history says this, and this is what it is. No, it's not. What they actually walk away with is way less than what you claim it is. It's a, it's a lie. How do we fix that? Get out. <laughs> now, we can't make investment legal recommendations here. That's my disclaimer, right? Mm-hmm. But the truth is, like, you can stop saving in those plans. You can save elsewhere. You could go do real estate. Mm-hmm. Here's the other thing. If you're a business owner, you're in real estate right now, why are you investing in everybody else's company? Why are you investing in somebody else's stock and not your own? Mm-hmm. That should be your number one investment anyways. You have right. control over that. That's not as much gambling as it is as trying to hope that, even if it's Musk, right? Mm-hmm. Hope that Musk makes some great calls. Even though Tesla is like over 100 times its value, mm-hmm. people are like, oh, I love it. They're like, okay, well, that can come down. You have well, I don't control. think we have to convince the people that are listening. How do we convince the people that aren't listening? Right? People like, aren't how, listening to this? Like, how do we can, like, how can we get this message out there, right? Like stock market is a scam. Like, I, I here's what got me out from being a financial advisor because it was imagine I was my pocketbook was tied to this mm-hmm. right. This is one reason why I have my show for that very reason. Mm-hmm. The problem is this is that if I look at evidence, and that's what got me out. Like it was my, one of my friends that was that left his uh, financial advising business that actually I hired him into. Mm-hmm. He left my business to go do real estate investing with his dad. And all of a sudden, he's making this money in four months even. I was like, what? You're making money on flips and stuff? Like, come on. That's too good to be true. I know what the return should look like. Real estate only goes up 3% a year, you know, all that kind of crap, right? Well, he finally just asked me, he said, Chris, how many of your clients are financially free where they don't worry about running out of money? And as I was honest with myself, and I looked at all those clients, I realized, well, none of them. They all worry about running out of money. Even the retired ones still think they might outlive their money. Okay, Chris. How many of you guys as financial advisors are financially free? Because you guys should have it figured out. So how many of you are free, not off the commissions, but actually doing these mutual fund investments? And when I was honest with myself, again, I looked around the office, like mentally speaking, there's over 100 guys in my office and a few women. There was guys working there since the late 1970s. Old guys that should be retired, could not retire. And even worse, even today, like, I mean, that, that woke me up a little bit, right? But then today... I, I go to mastermind groups. I go to one mastermind group in particular for financial advisors, the top, the best of the best, guys that make millions of dollars a year in that business. Once a year, I go to that event. There's always at least one guy that will go up to me and say, hey, hey Chris, how can, how can I retire like you did? Because like, I can't do it. These are the guys advising you. Shouldn't, that be a, shouldn't it be evidence? I mean, the fact that 401k balance, average 401k balance is less than $100,000 even for retirees. Well, was that because they're not saving enough? You know, was Dave Ramsey right along? Everybody's a spender, nobody's a saver? No, because 52% of people actually contribute to the 401k plans. Mm-hmm. So that means the majority of people are actually savers, not spenders. So you have all this misinformation out there. And the only way people can figure it out is like actually look at the evidence. Yeah. Are people financially free? No, it hasn't worked for years. And it, what makes you think it's going to work? It, it just hasn't. Yeah. That's yeah, pretty depressing to, to hear. And like, yeah, I mean, you look around. Fortunately, you know, for our sphere of influence, like yeah. we're in real estate, that's pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. If you I don't remember, make millions, you're like, oh, do I suck? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I remember we had one prospect. Um, 
and I don't know if we talked about this last time you were on the show, but mm-hmm. I had a prospect and it was, you know, they're looking for a cash offer. Yeah. And then, you know, the guy that was going to the appointment was like, yeah, you know, I was talking to him and you, you know, he's a Wells Fargo financial advisor. And I was like, <laughs> make sure we never ever use Wells Fargo for, for, <laughs> for financial advice. Um, because if you're selling your house for cash to someone like myself, it's not because you make great financial decisions. That's right. Right. And I was like, I was mortified that if a person trained in finances is selling the house to me for cash. Yep. Yeah. That's the thing. Watch where people make their money. Do they make it from their profession mm-hmm. or do they make it from investing? Yeah. If you want to make money in investing, follow investors. Right. If you want to make money in business, great. Follow a good, successful business owner. But that's why I hate when people say, well, I knew this rich relative or this rich neighbor that was a dentist and I decided to follow them for money advice. Mm-hmm. You realize that dentists really don't know much. I know because a lot of them are our clients, right? Mm-hmm. And they're good, smart people. They're very intelligent, but they'll admit themselves. They'll say, I don't know anything about money. I'm asking you because right. I just and Just because they're great in one field doesn't mean they're great, great in another field. You got it. Um, and then, you know, talking about like, don't get advice from a financial advisor. Get yeah. advi- financial advice from someone you trade places with. So I, I had yeah. someone send me uh, a video, mm-hmm. right? And it was this lady who was just blasting on Arizona, right? <laughs> and he sent me this video. He's like, how do you feel about it? I was like, well, I don't take advice from people I would not trade places with. That's right. And given how she presented herself, no desire to trade places with this lady. Mm-hmm. Um, so something else that you remarked on was you've helped over 1,000 people cash flow by over $300 million in the last 13 years. Yeah. That sounds like an outrageous number. It sounds outrageous, right? Yeah. But So what's the story behind it? Well, it helps that I've been doing this since 2010. Yeah. <laughs> so it gives them time. Right. You know, but uh, the story is about the average has been about 34,000 a year, mm-hmm. right? Uh, in the first year alone. And then that increases year after year. So I'm not even counting the increases for a lot of these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story is either we help people find and free up cash and or we help them create more passive income. Mm-hmm. So we get their money out of prison and get it working for them, right? Um, freeing up cash. I mean, even like business owners, I mean, taxes. I mean, almost every time people are overpaying taxes. If you're a business owner, you're pretty much guaranteed you're overpaying because mm-hmm. there's always things that get missed, right? right? Um, even like debt, like I'll tell you in the last recession, I stopped teaching people how to get out of the rat race because I was in it. So instead of teaching about passive income, I started switching more to freeing up cash, finding money. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it was like through debt consolidation. Like it, right now, if you got credit cards, they're skyrocketing interest rates. You may not even know it. Mm-hmm. You know, should we be paying those things off versus investing, right? Mm-hmm. Should we be finding ways to consolidate? Even if it means a HELOC, that's going up. I mean, now, usually I wouldn't recommend that. Occasionally, it might make sense. Sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's refinancing your three percent mortgage to a six percent mortgage. I've had people actually do that mm-hmm. and improve their cash flow there month to month, and then they can take more money and invest it and actually net higher passive income and cash flow. Right. So that's really what we're doing is we're just trying to strategize with what the money you have. How do we get it to produce more with less? So you're, you're evaluating, uh, kind of like digesting their entire situation. Mm-hmm. And once you review the entire situation, now you're optimizing the situation. Yeah. We're so, seeing what's their cash flow look like month to month. Mm-hmm. We're looking at what's on their balance sheet because honestly, net worth means crap. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean squat unless you actually make income from it. Right. Right. I mean, who cares if you have 3 million net worth? Nobody puts it on their tombstone. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it's like, how's my life changed today because I have that net worth? Yeah. So it's really about how do we improve that cash flow to the point where you have more than enough passive income to cover those expenses and mm-hmm. then some, right? Can you give us, just for the people that are listening, you know, just one or two common scenarios that they might be able to take action with today? Yeah, like 
for example, I mentioned like getting money out of prison, right? Mm -hmm. the, the biggest thing we find is that most financial advice is all about giving the money to the banks and the financial institutions and less to you, mm -hmm. right? For example, your mortgage, pay off your debt, right? And they're like, hey, somebody even asked me the other day, he's like, should I just pay extra payments on my mortgage? What do you think about that? He asked me that on a, on a podcast interview. Mm -hmm. I was like, I wouldn't do it. Right. I, if I'm gonna pay off a mortgage, I'm gonna pay off with one check mm -hmm. and, and that's it. And that's, and that's still, if I have more cash than what I have, right? I want to do it with one check because my cash flow doesn't improve if I pay extra to my mortgage. Mm. But you save thousands a year. Who cares? You know, if I save thousands of the life that I can make thousands more investing at a much higher rate anyways. Mm -hmm. So for me, paying off my mortgage could be a dumb idea, right? Not for everybody, but for some. So we look for ways like, is there equity there? Like, where's that net worth? Where's the money locked up? Is it in mutual funds? Is it in IRAs and 401ks? Can we have money self-direct that and then go move into other places? You know, do you have properties right now that are actually got a low return on equity? Mm -hmm. You know, we get a lot of real estate investors that they're like, oh, I'm doing real estate. I'm doing great. I'm like, my cash flow is awesome. And then we, we look at it. Like I had a guy in California that he had, you know, he's making netting about $200 a month, mm -hmm. but he had 700,000 of equity in that property. Yeah. So he's making a 0.3% return on his equity. Mm -hmm. I was like, dude, we can get that, that 700,000 out, go do an exchange on that sucker. And even if it made 10%, that's 70,000 a year versus 2,400 a year. Mm -hmm. And it took him years to figure it out because, you know, He's, he was raised by very conservative Asian parents, right? They mm -hmm. said, like, no, you, you pay off everything. You save everything. You don't do anything. You lock it up in prison. Mm -hmm. Finally, after a few years, he's like, wait a minute. I could actually take this money out and invest it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I've been saying. He started, like, buying, like, the Southeast, like, Louisiana and places like that. Now he's raving about it. He's like, this is the best thing ever. I'm like, yeah, California sucks, for one. <laughs> but two, like, yeah, get your money working harder for you, right? Get it, get it leveraged. And so... That's the kind of thing we look at. You know, even people have, have retirement accounts. Can we get it out? Can we mm -hmm. minimize taxes if you're not 59 and a half, get it to work for you, and then you can retire sooner, right? Yep. Things like that. So we had uh, Alex Quezada on the, on the show, uh, and he was talking about how he had his, his self-storage, mm -hmm. and uh, he planned on keeping that property forever. Mm -hmm. right? He's like, when I bought that thing, when I bought that sucker, I knew I was going to keep it forever. Mm -hmm. And then he joined a different mastermind, and they are saying things like return on equity. Yeah. And it's like, holy cow, <laughs> return on equity on this thing is not very good. Mm -hmm. So he sold it and bought something else. Yeah. So can you explain the concept of return on equity? I know you just gave yeah. the formula for it, but can you explain the, the principle behind it? The principle is, when we talk about stewardship, mm -hmm. is how do we make more with less, yeah. right? I mean, like you said, like, I mean, you calculate it, it's easy. You take, you take the annual income, an annual profit, I like to take, divided by the equity that's in the property, mm -hmm. If for me, if it's not at least six, 7%, well, I'm going to want to move it, you know? Right. Uh, and there could be other reasons too. I'm selling properties in Alabama right now that have a, you know, 11% cash on, you know, a return on equity. But problem is that they just suck because mm -hmm. we hate the property manager. For, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the property manager, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, it, just, it was just, it was one of those things where you said, you know what, we can still move it. It appreciated enough. We got more equity. Mm -hmm. Let's move it out and move it somewhere else, do more of a lateral move. But when you have that equity, right, that's, that's money that's potential. Now, you could sit on something forever. There's nothing wrong with that if you're already at the point where you have more than enough money coming in that you, mm -hmm. can't, you don't even know what to do with it. Yeah. Most people aren't at that place yet. Mm -hmm. So if we can take that extra equity and get it to perform better, right, it's, it's, it's no different like anything else you do in business. Mm -hmm. If I can take my money to make more money, that makes sense. Right. So if I can take that equity and be able to make more with it, just like that guy going from 2400 a year to 70000 a year conservatively, mm -hmm. that's a good move, right? right. That, that should be a no-brainer. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, emotions get involved, and it doesn't become a no-brainer for a lot of people. Yeah. 
Oh, emotions, programming. Programming, yep, right. that helps too. Yeah, like we were told, I mean, depending on the culture, like pay down all your debts, mm-hmm. right? That's the culture I came from. Yeah. Right? So it's hard to mm-hmm. to, to move when, what you were programmed with your whole life. So uh, let me give you a hypothetical here, right? Yeah. The guy that had the 700K in equity on his property, mm-hmm. why not just do a cash out refi? He could have. But it would have put him in a negative cash flow situation with that property, mm-hmm. and then do, and then, and then he'd still make positive cash flow, so he could still net positive. Um, but we ran both scenarios. Okay, so it's so not both. sell your property because you have equity. Right. It's if you do a cash out refi, what's your cash flow situation like uh-huh. there? Or if you sold this property and took the seven hundred thousand, yeah, and put it elsewhere, what kind of return you can get on that seven hundred thousand? Yeah, it, it, I'll tell you the most popular thing that everybody kept asking me was that very thing: is well, can I just do a cash out refi on my portfolio? Mm-hmm. You could. Well, let's run the numbers. And then yeah. the numbers always ended up being worse than just selling the property. Right. And, uh, and, that would, and that's hard because when you get mentally stuck on something, right? Just like you're saying, like if you get stuck on no debt, no debt, that becomes your narrow focus, mm-hmm. right? That's why financial advisors can't see outside the alternative space because yeah. they, they, just, they can't see anything past mutual funds. But same thing here. If you can start looking at what's the actual end goal, what do you have these properties for in the first place? Cash flow. Cash flow. Well, let's get that. Let's get you that, that very thing you want. And it might just look different strategy-wise than what you originally thought it would be. Yeah. Um, so anything that we have not talked about yet that is important, we should be talking about whether it's 2023 or what's on the horizon? Man, uh, that's a big question. Who knows? Yeah. Um, let me think. No, I'm good. You're good? Yeah. All right. So... Uh, Think about some last thoughts you want to leave the listeners with, um, guys. Uh, you know, again, if you're seeing value, if you're getting value from the show, it would help us a lot. Subscribe on YouTube. It was a five star review on Apple. We are trying to help as many people as we can. We're not charging you guys for the show, so the cost to you is to help us reach more people. So, uh, last thoughts you'd like to leave everybody with? That I like to leave everybody with. Yeah, yeah. Be prepared, right? Like, I mean, we're talking about asset protection, but really, like, this is about how you can hit a home run. Don't be fearful of the future. Like, I look forward, just like you did in 2020. In 2019, we were all talking about the recession coming anyways. Right. And then it got delayed. It just got pushed back, right? Be looking forward to that. And don't wait for it. It doesn't mean that you stop and just wait for whenever it crashes, then I'll do something. Mm -hmm. You can keep doing things along the way. But remember, look forward to it with faith versus fear. Mm -hmm. I think if you do that and you start to have clear eyes, Stop listening to what the math. Well, if you listen to the masses, just listen to them to know what you should not be doing. Right. I think that's the big key. Cool. Perfect. If someone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Go to moneyripples.com or you can also go, you know, check out our podcast on iTube, iTube, YouTunes. <laughs> <laughs> you can check out our podcast on YouTube or iTunes, the Money Ripples podcast. We got lots of stuff there too. Uh, do they have, do you offer any kind of consultations like for like, you know, for example, that return on equity situation? Do you, get, do, you do stuff like that? Yeah, actually, even easier. You can go to moneyripples.com. There's actually a passive income calculator there. Yeah. You can put in your numbers. It's like 10 questions and find out pretty, pretty conservatively how much more cash flow or passive income you could be having in your situation right now. All right, perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank yeah. you guys for watching. I'll see you guys later. Shout out to Steve Train. Jump on the Steve Train. We real estate disruptors.